Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's March the 22nd, a Monday, and the news over the weekend, I have to admit, is rather chilling, for some of us at least, and exciting for others. Uh, We may not be alone. We, meaning human beings on this earth, there may be extraterrestrial species. Um, The the former... uh, uh, a formal official in the in the Trump administration, John Ratcliffe, gave uh, an interview over the weekend saying that UFO report details are difficult to explain sightings, meaning that they're not just bits of debris floating around space. Uh, there may be evidence of UFOs, and Ratcliffe argues that this is going to be revealed in national intelligence in its 2021 uh, U.S. bill. Um, Uh, Ratcliffe, interestingly enough, uh, gave this bombshell on Fox television, not always the source, I think, for many of us of the most reliable news, Uh, but it got reported all over the place, including uh, the Jerusalem Post, a very uh, reliable source of news. So it's clearly there's some truth or at least some potential truth to this. Now, there is someone out there, uh, a Harvard professor indeed, who also has been insisting over the last few years that we are not alone uh, in the universe. He's the head astronomer at Harvard, uh, perhaps, uh, well, not perhaps, certainly one of the world's leading uh, uh, authorities on astronomy. And And he has a new book out, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. His name is Avi Loeb. He's the top astronomer at Harvard. And he is, amazingly enough, our guest on the show today. Um, Avi, your book, Extraterrestrial, has been incredibly controversial. It's a bestseller, of course. Uh, any Who wouldn't buy a book called Extraterrestrial, especially written not by a science fiction writer, but by the head astronomer at Harvard? Why has the book, uh, Avi, uh, created such a a rift, such controversy within your scientific community? Well, first, thank you for having me. Um, I believe that the the public's interest is driven by uh, the lack of discussion, honest discussion by the scientific community on this subject. And uh, uh, the public is starved for more information uh, from uh, scientists. Frankly, this is one of the most uh, exciting questions that science can address. And for some reason, it's pushed to the sidelines, Uh, even though we have the technology, we have the telescopes and the instruments that allow us to address this question. And, you know, we are addressing uh, other questions with uh, the same telescopes. We're trying to find out what is most of the matter in the universe. It's called dark matter. We don't know what it's made of. It's not the particles that we are made of. And we don't know which particles these are. And, you know, we invested hundreds of millions of dollars in trying to find those particles without success. At the same time, uh, you know, the search for relics of technological civilizations in space received a thousand times less funding from the government. And the question is, why is it that it's pushed aside? And I think it's about time now to put it 
center stage and to allow the mainstream in astronomy to address it. Well, here we have another one, a picture of your wonderful book. It comes with um, an excellent blurb from Alan Lightman. You're another very brilliant scientific writer at MIT who's been on the show recently. Um, Avi, you say for some reason. Uh, you, I, I, I think you know the reasons. What's really going on here? What's pissed off so many of your scientific colleagues? Have we created a scientific culture which is either deeply cons too conservative or have we created a scientific culture which in a peculiar way is a, is a, a return to the reactionary nature of perhaps uh, Christian culture of the 16th century, the very culture that somebody like Galileo, Galileo exposed as being uh, mythical. Yeah, if we go back to ancient history, uh, humans always prefer to believe that they are special, unique, and central to the universe. It started with uh, the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, who argued that we are at the center of the universe. And obviously, that flattered the ego of humans, and it was a popular view for a millennium. Uh, until uh, Copernicus and Galileo argued that, uh, you know, we are not at the center, the Earth moves around the Sun. And of course, you know, at the time, uh, the philosophers uh, did not want to look through Galileo's telescope, and they said, we know the truth, the Sun moves around the Earth, there is no need for us to get data. And that only maintained their ignorance. Reality doesn't really care whether we ignore it. Uh, the Earth continued to move around the Sun, and uh, we realized that later, uh, and so I think a part of the problem is that humans are not willing to entertain the possibility that, you know, that things like us exist and existed in the past. You know, by the way, the, the sun is a latecomer. Most stars formed billions of years before the sun. And so it's very likely that there were um, civilizations similar to ours that sent out the equipment into space, like Voyager 1, Voyager 2, New Horizons, the type of spacecrafts we launched uh, and all we need to do is search for those uh, but a lot of people prefer not to even search just like the philosophers in the days of Galileo they know the truth in advance it's never alien and they argue uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence the only problem is they are not funding the search for that evidence and they are ridiculing the discussion of such evidence and so it's just like stepping on the grass and arguing, look, it doesn't grow. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And young people are discouraged from pursuing such research. And I think that's very unfortunate given the public's interest. Now, another aspect of this is, of course, the discussions about unidentified flying objects and the science fiction that, uh, you know, the storyline of many of the science fiction uh, movies or, or books are... It's not up to the standards of science, but, you know, it reminds me of uh, uh, ancient history where humans used to, used to argue that uh, the human body has a soul and therefore uh, anatomy should be forbidden. And imagine if scientists would say, look, the human body is a controversial subject. Some people claim that it has a soul, others deny it. Therefore, we never want to uh, perform operations on the human body. Anatomy should be uh, let's forget about it. Uh, where would modern medicine be if we were to adapt that approach? Science has an obligation to clear up subjects 
that are you know controversial by using the scientific method rather than yeah, but, uh, but, uh, Avi, are, are you saying and, I, and i've been flashing up for those people who are just listening on the podcast i've been flashing up some images of star trek and star wars very popular uh media productions uh, television and, and film shows about life extraterrestrial life are you suggesting that um ordinary people i.e people who don't have phds in astronomy they're the ones who get it and it's your fellow phds in astronomy and physics they're the ones who are the reactionaries yes and uh, i think one reason for that is the culture that exists in academia Whereas uh, many of the people in academia view it, uh, you know, as uh, being on a pedestal, they need to lecture to the public what they find only after they're absolutely sure about it, rather than uh, share the information in a more transparent way. And I think, you know, the view of academia as an occupation of the elite is a self-inflicted wound by, by the people who practice uh, science. And just to give you an example, you know, I um, am surprised to see theoretical physicists uh, discussing, for example, uh, the multiverse or extra dimensions or string theory, topics that are completely removed from the public's uh, uh, interest and have no connection to experimental data at the moment as being mainstream themes in physics. And, uh, you know, the only way I can understand it is because uh, these are providing a sandbox for people to demonstrate that they are smart. So they just do intellectual gymnastics, mathematical gymnastics, demonstrate that they are smart to get awards, recognition, uh, belong to honor societies. But they are not really trying to understand nature. It's all within the academic community. It's a way of demonstrating that you are competent rather than trying to figure out nature. And my point is, Physics is a dialogue with nature. You listen to what experimental evidence tells you and you try to learn. You try to revise your notions if they are in conflict with the data, like in the case of this object that we will discuss. Right. We, we need to get into the object. But very briefly, Avi, you know, you've had a lot of criticism. Some people have actually been rather rude about you. Uh, 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 here's a, a piece about you... And, and I know you know this word, mansplaining SETI to uh, a, a, a female colleague. Um, the politics of academia is creeping into this. Um, is, um, is the culture or the politics of, of what people call political correctness, is that corrupting our scientific discourse at the moment? Well, what I'm trying to do is just like basketball team players do, they focus on the ball rather than the audience, okay? And to me, the ball in this case is the evidence that we have. I, I wouldn't write this book and I wouldn't write my scientific papers that the book is based on unless the evidence was compelling to make the case that we're seeing something that we've never seen before. And by the way, those scientists that try to explain the facts, they also contemplate something that we have never seen before, even if they try to explain it as a natural uh, object, this, this object that we will discuss. So it's obvious beyond a doubt that any explanation for the facts involves something that we have not seen before. And my point is simple. If it's something that we have not seen before, why not contemplate also the possibility of an artificial origin? Just like a plastic bottle that you encounter on the beach 
among all the rocks that you naturally find there. So let's let's get to the ball, as you say, in our basketball game. That ball, and I'm going to try and pronounce this. I'm sure you'll do a better job. It's Umamua, which is what you believe is uh, an example of um, um, intelligent alien existence. Tell me about Umamua. Yeah, uh, the name Oumuamua means a scout in the Hawaiian language. It was given to this object because it was discovered on October 19, 2017 by a telescope on Haleakala Summit in Maui, Hawaii. And uh, this was recognized as the first object from outside the solar system that we spotted near Earth. It's just like finding an object from the street in your backyard. First of all, it saves you the trip. You don't need to go to the street in order to figure out what's out there. But so astronomers at first thought, oh, it must be an object like the ones we've seen before in the solar system, either a comet or an asteroid. Uh, a comet is a rock that is covered with ice. So when it gets close to the sun, the ice evaporates and then you end up with a tail of dust and, and gas, uh, water vapor. Uh, that you can see by, as it reflects sunlight. But there was no cometary tail around this object. And in fact, the Spitzer Space Telescope looked very deeply for carbon-based molecules or dust around it. Nothing was found. And so it was definitely not a comet. So then astronomers said, okay, maybe it's a bare rock, an asteroid. And the problem with that is that as it was tumbling every eight hours, uh, the brightness of reflected sunlight from it changed mm. by a factor of 10. So here we have, by the way, here we have the the, the sky path um, and the um, and the, um, the the yellow line of the the solar system where where this um, where this thing traveled. Right, and you know one strange fact about it that it came from the so-called local standard of rest, which is the frame of reference that you get to when you average the motions of all the stars in the vicinity of the sun, sort of like the parking lot of the city that you live in uh, and you know cars move relative to it but you can average over their motions and the sun moves relative to that frame but this object was at rest and the only one in 500 stars is so much at rest and that was very surprising why would this object not share the motion of the star it came from if it's just a rock ejected from another star it was you know, in a very special frame. But moreover, it also had a very extreme shape, uh, sort of like a piece of paper tumbling in the wind. It, it, it was mostly, most likely, at the 90% confidence, uh, flat, pancake-shaped, based on the reflected light as it was tumbling. And it, it also exhibited a, a push away from the sun. Uh, and that... Uh, with a force that declined inversely with distance squared. So the best explanation for that that I could think of is that it's just reflection of sunlight that is pushing it. And in fact, in September 2020, we saw another object that exhibited a push from this reflecting sunlight without a cometary tail, observed by the same telescope, turned out to be a rocket booster from 1966 that we launched in a lunar lander mission. So we know we produced that object uh, artificially, and we know that it had thin walls, and that's why it exhibited the push by reflecting sunlight. Uh, we don't know who produced Oumuamua. Uh, Avi, describe the moment when you 
you realized that something weird was up here when, when you finally discovered perhaps like Columbus or Francis Drake that you were seeing something that no one else had seen before right well it was a, a lot of weird facts uh, about six of them and they came one after the other so you know th there is a point where you you say okay well the first weird fact maybe uh, it's an unusual object the second and then you end up with it's the push that it exhibited away from the sun, which looked really weird because it didn't have any gas around it to give it the, the rocket uh, effect, the, the push as a result of evaporation. And so at that point, that was uh, in June 2018, about eight months after the discovery, I realized, look, there are too many unusual facts about it. It may well be artificial. Uh, it may be a sail, uh, a very thin object reflecting mm. sunlight and nature doesn't make sales. So at that point, I decided to write a, a, an essay in Scientific American about the possibility that it, it is artificial, uh, basically explaining all the weird facts about it, all the anomalies. And then I wrote a scientific paper that was accepted for publication within a few days. Uh, that was a record uh, for my papers. I wrote more than 800 papers uh, in my career, and this one was accepted immediately. And um, then a couple of bloggers uh, noticed the paper and uh, it became viral on, on, in the media. And uh, we didn't have any press uh, uh, release about it, but uh, the public was extremely interested in this uh, possibility. And that's why eventually I decided to write the book. I told my publisher, you know, if one person in the world uh, decides to pursue science after reading this book, I will be satisfied. Um, and it turns out that uh, I received an email a few weeks ago from a woman in Malawi, in Africa, who said that the book is great and now she is thinking of becoming an astronomer. So I yeah, I, in a funny way, Avi, you, kind of, you remind me of Galileo in the sense that, of course, Galileo was persecuted, but he was also a believer. So you're both a scientist and someone who's creating a huge disturbance within the scientific community. Um, Lightman's book, another wonderful read, probable was called probable, is called probable impossibilities. Would you call what you saw a probable impossibility? Um, yeah. So um, just like Sherlock Holmes, you know, the the work of right. scientists is Detective. like you put the possibilities on the table, and you don't assign probabilities ahead of time. You don't have a prejudice and. One of the possibilities I put on the table is the light sail hypothesis that it's an artificial object that is very thin. And then, then you put all the other possibilities on the side that for a natural origin. And by now there are four of them. And each of them has a major flow. Uh, you know, for example, people suggest maybe it's an iceberg made of pure hydrogen or pure mm. nitrogen. Each of them has a major flow and maybe it's a cloud of dust particles that is very loosely bound a hundred times less dense than air maybe it's a shrapnel from a bigger object that was disrupted each of these has a major flow and i decided you know the artificial origin appears to be the most likely and that's why i came now you never know for sure until you collect more evidence and the key here is next time we see such an object and you know there should be many more that we spot in the coming years uh, if we see one approaching us, we can send a spacecraft with a camera that will take a close-up photo. And they say a picture is worth a thousand words. In my case, a picture is worth 66,000 words, the number of words in my book.
we know, Avi, that we've been through this before. Uh, we, meaning human beings, or we in the West. Uh, yesterday, uh, I had uh, the historian Lawrence Bergreen on the show. His book, his new book, In Search of a Kingdom, is about Francis Drake and Elizabeth the first of England, their alliance in discovering, quote unquote, the new world. Of course, that discovery was both good and bad. You wouldn't be in Massachusetts now. I wouldn't be in, uh, in, in California without uh, Sir Francis Drake, but it resulted in, in a huge amount of suffering. Are you at all worried that what you may have discovered may result in the very destruction of, of, of the human race itself? Because these uh, aliens, if if they do exist, they're probably not going to be particularly friendly. They're not going to come down. It's not going to be like a big uh, love fest in in Cambridge, in at Harvard University, or at Berkeley. They're probably going to come and eliminate us, won't they? Well, I was asked many times whether um, it's good to know, uh, and my point is that scientific knowledge, scientific information, is always good because it allows you to better assess the reality that you live in. You can decide what to do with it. For example, when you enter a room full of strangers, uh, you better listen first before you speak out because you never know whether there is a predator out there that they could harm you. And, uh, you know, that, that applies to the sky. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, we have been broadcasting radio waves for more than a century now. So if there is anyone out there, out to 100 light years away, that has radio telescopes of the type that we developed, they already know about us. What do you now, think they think about us, Avi? Do you think they, they think much of us? Are we, no, are we, are we anything um, surprising? I mean, in, in your, uh, wearing your Sherlock Holmes hat, you know about as much about... Alien existences as anyone. Do you, do you think there's anything special about us, or are we just another flick of dust in the universe? I think that we are nothing special, nothing unique. That a lot of things like us existed in the past. And you know, the one thing I learned from uh, decades of studying astronomy is a sense of uh, modesty. You know, we are such a small component in this big scheme of things, and we live for such a short time—one part in a hundred million of the age of the universe. So. We are, you know, when we are born into this world, we are just like actors put on a stage without a script. And so my point is, the first thing you do is look for other actors, right? That's the natural thing to do. And that's what I'm advocating for in my book and in our discussion here, trying to find other actors that could tell us about the big, the, the play that is going on here. The second thing to notice is, you know, we participate in a small fraction of this play, just one part in a hundred million. Just think about it. The play has been ongoing for 13.8 billion years now. The universe has been expanding. Lots of things happen in it. How dare we be arrogant and think that things are about us? This play is not about us, okay? And we are more <laughs> players in the big scheme of things. And instead of asking, where is everybody? Like uh, Enrico Fermi asked, you know, that's very presumptuous. When I met my wife, she had a lot of friends uh, that were waiting for Prince Charming on a white horse that will come along and make them a marriage proposal. That was very presumptuous. It, it never happened. Uh, You're not Prince Charming, Avi, with your wife? Sorry? You weren't Prince Charming with your wife? Uh, you should ask her, that's not for me to say. Uh, but uh, it, I didn't come on a horse, for sure. I came on an airplane. Uh, so I wouldn't uh, say. But um, 
but my point is that um, you know we are probably just like uh, ants on a sidewalk uh, one out of many that existed in the past and you know when you go down the street you never pay attention to every ant so the point is you know it will take those civilizations a hundred light years away about a million years to reach us with chemical rockets of the type that we've used so far so we may have a million years before we hear from them but it's it's uh, you know eventually we might we might hear from them and we better know our environment you know the the biggest question i think uh on 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 the agenda is uh, are we the smartest kid on the block uh you know when my daughters were young they tended to think very highly of themselves they they thought they are the smartest in the world and then we took them to the kindergarten and that changed their perspective uh, of course if i asked them at that point um, they would tell me that they want to stay at home to maintain their illusion but uh, i do think that uh, getting the better perspective is important because uh, yeah avi do you think that history is repeating itself uh, I, I talked a little bit about this this alliance between Drake and Elizabeth, of course, it was repeated uh, in Spain between Columbus and the monarchs, uh, in, in some ways against the church. Today, we see, my sense is we're seeing a similar cleavage. Your scientific community, very conservative and territorial, looking small, looking inward, resists your ideas. Uh, and your initiatives, your work is getting funded by perhaps the equivalent of, uh, of Elizabeth I or, or the Catholic monarchy in, 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 um, in, uh, in Spain, in 16th century Spain. Uh, Yuri Milner, the internet, uh, the Russian, uh, American-Russian uh, internet uh, entrepreneur, uh, is funding some of your work. Of course, um, Elon Musk is investing in SpaceX and um, Jeff Bezos in Blue Origin, the two richest people in the world. Um, is uh, is the tech money that's been made in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, uh, is it any coincidence that it now is being channeled into space exploration, into initiatives like your own? No, because that's the ultimate frontier. That's uh, where our civilization will have to go. Uh, you know, in less than a billion years, the uh, sun will boil off all the oceans on Earth and we won't be able to stay here anymore. So all the ambitions we have right now are limited to Earth and we won't be able to maintain them anymore. Uh, but even before that, there may be a catastrophe that will force us to move somewhere else and we better start to contemplate. Right now, all our eggs are in one basket. We need to move out. And there are commercial opportunities. Of course, uh, all these commercial entities are interested the, in the profit that you can uh, get from space. Uh, but that's not the same as the scientific community being interested in space because that's supposed to be blue sky research just to uh, you know, enhance our knowledge of what's around us. And I'm really struck by the fact that there is more innovation, more open-mindedness in the commercial sector because you know, it's, they're in it for the profit. Uh, in academia is in it for the knowledge, supposed to be in it for the knowledge. And this conservatism that prevails in academia could lead to ignorance. Uh, extraordinary conservatism leads to extraordinary ignorance. And my point is, it should have been the other way around, that academia is much more innovative, risk-taking, because that's the whole purpose of the tenure system in academia, to allow you the freedom to innovate, to go in directions that are risky without worrying about your job prospects. 
But somehow, when people get tenure, they start to worry about their image and they build echo chambers that repeat their mantras from the past so that they can gain awards, honors, and so forth. And they don't take risks because that bears the possibility that they might be wrong. And, uh, you know, when kids learn about the world, they put some skin in the game, right? That's why they get bruised. Uh, my point is, scientists would have been much better off if they behaved like kids rather than the way they behave. You are on, uh, Avi, you are on uh, President Biden's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. Uh, I, I don't want to ask you to tell me what, what conversations you may or may not have had with Joe Biden, but in very broad terms, Biden's in power for four years. What can he do uh, on this front to tiptoe towards this new world that seems, at least in your mind, to be inevitable and unavoidable, a truth, an unpleasant and uncomfortable truth that many of your scientific colleagues don't want to acknowledge? Well, I'm not, uh, the council was not established yet. I was on the, uh, the oh. previous, but uh, there are many, I think that science should occupy center stage and already the, uh, the, the science advisor to the president will be a cabinet member. Uh, that was decided, which is an extremely important uh, decision in my view. It shows the central importance that science will play in politics in the coming years. And uh, we already know that from the pandemic that uh, uh, you know science could uh, uh, help devise the appropriate policy. Uh, uh, but beyond the pandemic, um, you know, the future of our society really depends on technological and scientific innovation. And I think that more resources should be allocated to uh, risk taking and, uh, uh, you know, projects that may not succeed. But uh, if one of them succeeds, it will open up new frontiers for us and maintain the edge that the uh, uh, the U.S. has relative to other nations. And without having that uh, innovation, without uh, taking risks in academia, I think we uh, will stagnate. And uh, right now, the way that uh, budgets are allocated within uh, federal uh, agencies, uh, they are, this is decided in a relatively conservative fashion by, you know, mainstream scientists that, uh, worry about uh, you know not uh, wasting any funds in risky proposition on risky propositions. I think, well, first of all, there, there, there is a lot of uh, wealth now in the private sector, and that can be tapped. Right. And and that and we need that. The, you're saying we need the Bezoses and the Musks. Um, Avi, what about the idea? And this is perhaps a little too science fictional that these extraterrestrials may have already arrived. The, 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 the great novelist Kishu, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro has a new book out uh, called uh, Clara and the Sun about AI and our increasing challenge of distinguishing between AI and human beings. Is there any possibility that these extraterrestrials are already amongst us? Uh, well, I don't think they're amongst us because, as I said before, I don't think that we're special enough for them to come and visit us. Uh, but I do think, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's the great science fiction narrative that we're so boring and so, so irrelevant that, uh, that all those extraterrestrials out there will avoid us as much as they can, like those smelly neighbors down the street. 
Well, actually, during the pandemic, I thought about the possibility that there is social distancing on a cosmic scale, that, in fact, very <laughs> advanced civilizations would uh, close themselves in a cocoon in order not to degrade their quality of life by interacting with lesser civilizations. That doesn't mean that we will not uh, find about them, uh, because they still need to throw trash out into space and you know just like investigative journalists that go through the trash cans of celebrities in hollywood we could find out the, about their private lives by finding their trash in space uh but but you raised an important point that artificial intelligence may be our future and uh, if we look at the alien technologies they are already in our future so perhaps it will all be equipment. It will not be biological creatures that uh, we will face. And that's uh, quite likely to be the case that we will first detect equipment in space that is, is extremely sophisticated, that would look like magic to us rather than uh, biological creatures that are intelligent. More, to quote Alan Lightman, more probable impossibilities. I'm not sure if I'm gonna sleep tonight, Avi, after all this. Um, you were originally from Israel. Um, Israel, there was a story in the Times this weekend about discovering the fragments of Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, of, of, of burying what's valuable. What should we be burying in case we are indeed invaded by these extraterrestrials? What well, should we be proud of? You, you seem to be minimalizing our significance. Is there anything we've done of any significance, do you think? Oh, I think uh, we should be proud of everything we have. Uh, it's just that it's not significant in the big scheme of things. But, you know, I, I'm very proud of where I came from. And even though I recognize the universe is much bigger. Uh, so I do think that our future lies uh, and, and, you know, it's very similar to the biblical story of Noah's Ark. Uh, uh, there was this threat from the great flood during Noah's uh, time. And he decided to build an ark that will preserve the animals uh, from the flood. And I think we can build Noah's spaceship that uh, instead of uh, boarding uh, elephants, whales, birds on it, we can uh, just put a, a, an AI system on, on board, uh, uh, equipped with a 3D printer and having the data uh, on the DNA making of everything we, we find dear for us here on Earth. And, and then uh, this kind of a, a, an ark, a spaceship, Noah spaceship, could reconstruct the forms of life we have on Earth. So if something bad happens to us, you know, it could establish the same types of life that we find here by creating synthetic life out of the raw materials on another planet. And sending this out, I think, is much more satisfying than sending out like the golden record on Voyager. No, I don't care. I don't think the aliens care about the Beatles. Uh, uh, but if we are able to reconstruct... You mean the Beatles, uh, the, the, the pop group, not the, uh, not the insects? Yeah, the band. I think they put one of their songs on, on that golden record. Or they put some other culture, things that are of cultural significance to us. Uh, but that's uh, sort of... Uh, relatively narrow-minded. I think what we can do is put all the information about all forms of life on Earth on, you know, an AI system such that it can reconstruct everything on, on Earth If once we figure out how to make synthetic life. And, you know, we are working on that. Well, Avi, I know what the, the title of your, your next book should be. Uh, 
Noah's Synthetic Ark. Uh, but your current book is a must read for anyone who's curious about the existence of extraterrestrials in the universe. Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intelligent life beyond Earth. RV, for better or worse, uh, in our rather mundane lives, we're stuck at home in, in the post-COVID world. You're in uh, your home out uh, in uh, Lexington, uh, Massachusetts. What else should people be reading in addition to your book? Right. Uh, yeah, I should say I'm at house arrest, but not because of my colleagues. As in yes. the I think they, they, would, they would be like to be burning you at the stake, let alone arresting you, Avi. But, uh... <laughs> well, I jog every morning at 5 a.m. in the company of ducks, rabbits, uh, birds, and wild turkeys that are very loud, I should say. Uh, but So I enjoy them much more than uh, some of my colleagues. But if I had to recommend a book, I would recommend this one, uh, The Swerve by mm. a colleague at Harvard, the Stefan Greenblatt. Uh, yeah. That is a very fascinating story uh, about uh, a book, a, a different book, uh, Lucretius uh, on the Nature of Things, uh, which uh, was considered heresy, but includes uh, very important insights uh, from the work of Epicorus uh, that uh, is quite remarkable because many of the things he argued for, we hold true today. Well, uh, Avi Loeb, the, uh, the 21st century heretic, at least in the scientific community, real honor, keep well, don't get, don't get kidnapped by any extra, extra terrestrials. And we will definitely have you back on the show in the not too distant future to talk more about science and the universe. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.